Would you turn your Bible, please, to Luke chapter 23? The experience through which we have gone, as Brother Lloyd sang this morning, certainly has moved all of our hearts closer to Christ. Not only the Son coming up, the Son of Righteousness hath risen with healing in His wings. May we pray. Our Father, we thank You for the truths that have been sung this morning all through the service. We pray now that the Holy Spirit of God will anoint our lips and our hearts. Everyone in this room and those who listen by radio will be touched by God's Holy Spirit that you would bring conviction and help us to understand the centerpiece of the Christian faith, the cross of Christ. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. The subject this morning, the meaning of Calvary. In Luke chapter 23, a passage that has been read so beautifully by Brother Brian, when they were come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him. And the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left, then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. When we think of this scripture, we think of the heart of the gospel. Jesus said this gospel must be preached around the world. Go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And for 2,000 years, God's witnesses, the disciples of Jesus, and those who heard them, and those who heard those, and those who kept on hearing, until one day you and I heard. And so convincing was the Spirit of God about Calvary that many in this room have given their hearts to Jesus Christ. It would be impossible to say all the things about Calvary today that rush to our hearts. I want to say four things very briefly. Calvary was the fulfillment of the Old Testament sacrificial system. Number two, Calvary was a coming to grips with our sin. Number three, Calvary was the outpouring of God's love, for God so loved the world. And number four, Calvary is the surety of heaven. First of all, Calvary is the fulfillment of the Old Testament sacrificial system. When Adam and Eve sinned, God made clothes of animals. In order to do that, he had to slay an animal. And the Bible says in Leviticus 17, 11, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Blood was shed for a covering. When the people sinned, there was a blood covering. In Hebrews chapter 9, beginning with verse 11, but Christ being come a high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. 
For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Calvary is the fulfillment of the Old Testament sacrificial system. At Calvary, the veil of the temple was rent in twain. The meaning behind that passage is simply this. All through the Old Testament period, from the time of the tabernacle in the wilderness to the time of the temple, and all through Old Testament Jewish history, out beyond the holy place, into the Holy of Holies, there was an Ark of the Covenant. In the Ark of the Covenant was Aaron's rod that budded, a copy of the Ten Commandments, and a container of the sample manna taken from the wilderness wandering. Over the Ark of the Covenant was a gold sheet estimated to be worth about $90,000 in marketable value today. Around the Ark of the Covenant were cherubs, representing and symbolizing the presence of God, and the Lord was there. He chose to meet with his, his people in that place beyond the veil. And once a year, the high priest would go beyond the veil and offer a blood sacrifice on that altar for the sins of the people. Year after year after year after year, the high priest would go. And then there came a day in about 30 AD when all of a sudden the veil was rent from the top to the bottom, symbolizing that God did it. Because out on the north end of Mount Moriah, Jesus, the Son of God, was offering himself a blood sacrifice so that never again would a priest go beyond the veil and offer a blood sacrifice. Jesus offered that once and for all. It is the blood that makes an atonement for the soul. And so, mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. At Calvary was the fulfillment of the Old Testament sacrificial system. And secondly, Calvary was a coming to grips with our sins. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's not one person in the choir or in this section or this section or over here or in the pulpit. Not one person who has not sinned. Sin is a grievous thing. God hates sin. God cannot look on sin. And when Jesus was dying on the cross, he cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And the first time in all eternity, God the Father and God the Son were separated because God turned his back. He could not stand to look on sin because my sins and your sins were on Christ. It was our sins that were there. You think of the worst sin you've ever committed. Maybe nobody knows about it. It was put on Calvary. And if you've come to Jesus and claimed him and his blood for forgiveness, then that sin is not held against you anymore. 
because at Calvary, there was a coming to grips with our sin. Whatever the sin is, big sins, little sins, sins in public, sins in secret, sins in the White House, sins in the shacks, sins in all the world. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in Jesus would not perish but have everlasting life. Amen. Calvary was a coming to grips with our terrible sins. In the book of Titus, there's a passage of scripture that's worth looking at. Listen to this. Not by the works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying, and these things I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable before God and the Father. Now every sin has to be punished, no matter what it is. That's the reason, and you know some people misunderstand this, that's the reason you don't get forgiven by just saying, God, please forgive me. Now you and I live on a different scale. We can offend somebody and we go and say, please forgive me, and they'll forgive us, maybe. But God's not like that. God says every sin has to be punished. Every one of them. There's not one exception. So either I accept the punishment for my sin in hell forever, or I trust the one that God says that's enough. Amen. He who knew no sin became sin for us. We might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. At Calvary, Jesus met the sin of humanity head on. And the scripture says, he who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again, who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live in the righteousness by whose stripes we're healed. My Savior came to Calvary's cross and took a sinner's part, and there, deserted by God and man, he died of a broken heart. You think of that. We sometimes say the Jews put Jesus on the cross or the Romans put Jesus on the cross. And there's a truth in that. Mechanically, they did it. But it was you and me that did it. It was our sins. Had there been no sin, Jesus wouldn't have had to die on a cross. If we can be saved some other way, Jesus wouldn't have had to die on a cross. If we could be saved by claiming good works and say, Lord, now I've done this and this and this. I joined the right church. I got baptized the right way. And I, uh, I'm uh, living a good life and I'm obeying the gospel and all those things that I, I, I am doing. Then Jesus would not have died on the cross. He died there because there was no other way. There was none other good enough to pay the price for sin. He only could unlock the door of heaven and let us in. There was nothing we could do in Ephesians 2, 8. By grace are you saved through faith, 
and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Could my tears forever flow? Could my zeal for no longer know? These for sin could not atone. Thou must save, and thou alone. In my hand no price I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Now, friend, I want to tell you, if you'll come to Jesus that way, he'll forgive you and save you, no matter what your sin is. He has forgiven rapists. He has forgiven child abusers. He has forgiven murderers. He has forgiven thieves. Whosoever will may come. And then he has forgiven the good people. There's none good, no, not one. But some of us classify ourselves and we say, well, I'm better than that guy. At least I didn't go rob a bank or I didn't go commit adultery. I didn't do something else like that. Well, there's none good. None of us has any standing before God. God is no respecter of persons. Just because we turn over a new leaf or we live some good kind of lives, that doesn't count with God. God looks at us and he compares us to Jesus. Sometimes we compare ourselves to each other. If, if five of the finest men in our church were lined up right here and the Lord were here and God would look at each of us, he wouldn't compare us to each other. He didn't say, Richard, you as good as Lloyd or Lloyd is you as good as Steve or you as good as Richie and so on. No, he'd put Jesus there. Then he'd say, Richard, are you as good as Jesus? I'd have to say, no. What about you? He's the one by which we're compared to the standards of God. And we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's the reason no one can be saved except by the blood of Jesus Christ. He's the only one. Now, there are a lot of religions in the world. Mr. Gandhi, leader of millions of Hindus, was interviewed before he died. He said, at one time I considered becoming a Christian. But when I regained the balance of my mind, I decided that cow worship was sufficient for my soul's salvation. But then he added, I think I could have become a Christian had it not been for Christians. What do you mean? by the tawdry, cheap lives that many believers who claim to believe in Christ live carelessly in this world and we hurt others that look at us and say, if he's a Christian, I don't want to be like it. So that would behoove every one of us who has been under the blood of Christ to live a godly life. The grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us. That grace that brings salvation teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live righteously and soberly and godly in this present world, looking for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. From Titus chapter 2. Well, thirdly, not only is Calvary a fulfillment of the Old Testament sacrificial system, and the coming to grips with our sin, but Calvary is the outpouring of God's love. You just think of that. Nobody ever loved like God did. Amen. The closest thing we have to it maybe is a mother's love. There's a poem that says, should I be hanged on the highest hill 
whose love would follow me still, my mother. Maybe father's love is similar to that, but that's all human love and it breaks down. I've heard of fathers disinheriting their children. I've heard of mothers saying, I don't want to see my son or daughter anymore. God would never do that. God loves the lowest sinner. God loves those who say they're good. God loves Saddam. He loved Hitler. He loved Mussolini. He loves President Bush. He loves you. He loves me. Now, wait a minute. Just because God loves us doesn't mean that sin doesn't have to be punished. Every sin, every transgression must receive a just recompense and reward. There's no, there's no exception. And so Calvary was a pouring out of God's love. Look at Gethsemane. Do you see how Jesus loved? Dear God, if it be possible, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, thy will be done, not mine. Jesus knew what he was facing the next day. It wasn't hidden from him. He knew about it. They came out to arrest him. Five or six hundred men to arrest Jesus, the lone Galilean. Judas betrayed Jesus with a kiss. And, they said, and Jesus said, who do you seek? They said, we seek Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said, I am he. And they all fell down on their faces. Amen. Four or five hundred of them, maybe six hundred. This was a demonstration that they did not kill Jesus. He yielded his life in atonement for sin and opened the life gates that all may go in. He who knew no sin became sin. They didn't arrest Jesus and drag him to the cross. He went willingly, bearing his cross. Look at the trial. All the mean, ugly things, Pilate scourged him. And they pushed that crown of thorns down on his brow, put a pur purple robe. They lashed him with a whip of, of, of nine tails and, and, and all those lead things went into his stomach and back and he was a bruised, broken mess. Some doctors have said it's a marvel he ever went to Calvary. He was so broken. But you see, they didn't kill him. If they could have killed him, they would have killed him then. He went out to the cross because it was God's plan of the ages that he would shed his blood for our sins. Amen. One time they tried to push Jesus over a cliff. That wasn't his time. One time they tried to stone him. That wasn't his time. He came to shed his blood for my sins and yours. And he who knew no sin became sin for us. Of me. He said, I was in the Vietnam War and I messed things up terribly over there. He said, I had a wife back home and I had a mistress over there and I had children by. And when I left, I left all those children. He said, God couldn't possibly love me. He hates me. And I showed him from the Bible that God loves him. Amen. God loves the lowest sinner, God loves the highest sinner, God loves all. Could we with ink the ocean fill? Were the skies of parchment made? Were every, every pen on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole. 
though stretched from sky to sky. God loves. I know, yes, I know that God loves me so. He sits by the window, though the all long ages roll, where an eon of time is the brush of his hand. Yet the king of all kings love, seeks the love of each man. Should the light of the sun and time flicker and die and the earth wander off like a tramp through the sky, the darkness can't hide me. He'll find me, I know, for men are his diamonds. And he loves me so. He loves you. God loves you. And Calvary is a testimony to every man, every woman, all over the world, that God loves you. And he wants to draw you by the bands of love to himself. Only love can break a man's heart. And God loves us that way. Maybe I can tell you some story about a dog who was true to his master. When his master died, that dog went out and sat on the grave of his master and wouldn't leave. And in the evening would howl, a moaning howl. That might bring tears to our eyes. But Jesus died for me and you. And sometimes we hear that message with dry eyes. It doesn't even move our heart. Oh, God help us. God loves you. I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore. But love lifted me. And love will lift every man, woman, boy, and girl who trusts Christ. Last of all, Calvary is the surety of heaven. Isn't that wonderful? There was none other good enough to open the doors of heaven, only Jesus. And when that thief was dying on the cross next to Jesus, one thief cried out, If you're really the Son of God, come down and save yourself and us. What arrogance. What agnosticism, atheism. And he has a lot of followers in the world today. But the thief on the other side was an insurrectionist, a murderer. He deserved what he was getting. He cried out, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. What did Jesus say? Well, after you sleep in the grave a thousand years, maybe you can be with me. Or if you'll get down off the cross and live a good life and get baptized the right way, you, you, you can come with me to heaven. He didn't say anything like that. He said to that thief, today, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Oh, listen, when you die, if your faith is in Christ, you're not going to go to some soul slumber place. Amen. You don't have to be afraid of the graveyard. There are no souls down in the graves. They're just bodies that have died and have gone back to the dust. Their soul has either gone to hell or heaven. And Jesus said to that thief, he didn't deserve anything. He didn't even have time to go to church. He didn't have time to get baptized. He didn't have time to reform his life. He didn't have time to prove that he was a different man. He just said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, today, thou shalt be with me in paradise. And listen, every man, every woman, every boy, every girl since that day who has put his faith in Christ can die with the assurance of heaven. I'm on my way to Canaan's land. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. But heaven is a prepared place for a prepared people. Only those who have put their faith in Jesus will inherit kingdom of heaven. Are you on your way to heaven? 
Do you have a home in heaven? Do you know for sure? They said during the Civil War, <clears throat> a lot of soldiers were dying out on the battlefields. Dio Moody would crawl under the wires and try to minister to men who were dying. And uh, he came to one. And the man said, here am I, here am I. And Moody said to the man, what, what are you saying? He said, I hear the call. I'm going home. In a moment, he was in heaven. That's how quick it'll be. When you put your faith in Jesus, he'll save you. And he'll give you a home in heaven. Let's bow together in prayer. Our Father, we pray that the Spirit of God will move in every heart. And may this be an hour of victory. We thank you that Jesus loves us so much. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. We pray that someone within the sound of our voice today will turn to Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.